This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Again, welcome, welcome, etc. I've got written in front of me here, and uh, I have to write everything down because uh, I've got paper very cleverly spread around this table, and I'm going to absolutely keep it in control. Unlike, uh, I would hate to get into the mess that Boris Johnson got himself into, and I don't know if you ever have. Did you see him with that speech? The Peppa Pig speech is quite famous. Boris Johnson, Peppa Pig, and he got into a frightful mess with uh, <laughs> with his paper. So I'm going to try and do better than Boris today. Okay, James here anyway, and uh, nice to have you with us. Well, right at the beginning of the series in early March, I explained that beginning with Veganuary this year, I thought I'd see how I'd go on a vegan diet. And I made it clear that I came with no particular knowledge or expertise, simply a desire for my own benefit to learn more and hopefully share by way of discussion with guests any information that others could find useful. And I'll talk a little later about where that journey has brought me. First, I'd like to share a recipe that, in my view, should be in every vegan's repertoire. Uh, Before getting uh, to that, I do hope you picked up on the tofu scramble I talked about a few weeks ago. I just noticed in the latest um, Vegan Society newsletter, it's up there, the recipe, and a very good picture, if I say so for myself. Um, If you like eggs but no longer eat them, then please give the tofu scramble recipe a, a try. If you do, a couple of things I've discovered since by making it a few times now. Measure very carefully, be very careful with the turmeric, because otherwise you'll have a rather bilious yellow, which is not particularly appetizing, just delicate. And uh, work very quickly in the final stage. You only need about 30 seconds to stir when you put the milk in um, and add more milk if it's a bit too dry for you. And finally, do get your hands on a bag of that black salt powder, color namak, from any any, uh, Indian store or supermarket. Um, that's the magic. It's such a eggy flavor, and I think it's probably why that recipe is so delicious. Now, aloo gobi, and that might ring a bell for a number of you. I may, I may be the last person on earth to hear of it, but it's the first recipe I want to talk about. Um, uh, it's ubiquitous on the Indian subcontinent. You'll find variations of this dish in India and Pakistan. Aloo means potato. Gobi means cauliflower. And aloo gobi, this dish, just accidentally happens to be completely vegan. So it needs absolutely no altering or substitutions. And you think, why is this rather plain dish, really? It's just the potatoes and cauliflower. Why is it so amazingly popular? And... I think the conclusion is that it's one of those recipes where the sum is greater than the parts. There's 
quite a little work out of your spice cabinet here, but quite likely most of them you'll have in your cupboard already. And if even if you don't, um, leave it out. And just next time you're going, you're in the uh, Indian supermarket, there are a couple of uh, ones that you'll need a specialist store for. Um, just pick them up. They're just a couple of dollars. And otherwise, it's just things that you may have anyway. So let's just run through the um, recipe ingredients. You'll need, once again, it's a dish that you just stretch or shrink according to how many people and use your judgment. A couple of potatoes peeled and cubed, half a large cauliflower or a whole small cauliflower. Cut that into small florets, so bite-sized bits. You want some oil, a couple of tablespoons, a medium onion, chopped, a couple of tomatoes, or I used, um, now they're out of season, half a can of whole peeled tomatoes would do. We're talking about enough for a couple of people here. Um, If it's shared, you could do more. Um, I hesitate to use the measurements for the herbs and spices because they're all variations on a half or a quarter or an eighth of a teaspoon. And I think just go light first time you make them. And it's a really good way of learning for yourself. Yeah, I think possibly I'd like a little more cumin here or um, chili powder, not quite hot enough. So you'll need cumin seeds, coriander seeds, chili powder, turmeric powder, um, a couple of teaspoons of ginger garlic paste. And I take that to mean, this was the recipe, there's a lot of recipes for it on the, on, on the internet. Um, just grate some fresh ginger and garlic on your little microplane grater until you've got about a couple of teaspoons full, and that's your ginger garlic paste. Now there's an ingredient here called amchur, which is dry mango powder. It's got a sort of a citrusy tart flavor, and it's good. Good to have on hand. Just a couple of dollars at the Indian supermarket. Some garam masala. And the other one that's a bit of a strange one, and you can leave out if you haven't got it, kasuri methi, methi. And that's fenugreek leaves. And you'll need some coriander and some fresh limes if you've got them for a garnish. Now, in a bowl, just your cubed potato and cauliflower pieces, toss those with um, the turmeric and some chili powder until all the pieces are coated, and just let them sit for about 10 minutes or so. And then in a wide pan, heat a tablespoon of oil, and you're going to fry first the cauliflower pieces two or three minutes, then add the potato pieces, and fry total, about seven minutes, stirring from time to time. And what you're trying to look for here is all the vegetable pieces to get some little brown on them, little brown spots. Remove them from the pan once you've done that. Total time about 10 minutes in the pan and uh, set them aside on a rack or a paper towel to drain. And then put the remaining oil in and add the cumin and coriander seeds. And the coriander seeds will start crackling, the um, cumin seeds will start crackling after a minute or two. And at that point, you add your chopped onion, cook for a few minutes more, then the ginger garlic paste, and you cook that until the uh, raw smell goes away. At this point, stir in the amchur, the mango powder, and your can of tomatoes. And you cover the pan, let that cook for a couple of minutes, two or three minutes, and at this point, you lower the heat and mix in the potato and cauliflower pieces. And then cook on low five or six minutes, 
you haven't put any salt in yet, so this is the time to season the salt. Add the uh, garam masala and the methi, if you happen to have it, the fenugreek leaves. Now, cooked now, um, this is the last bit of cooking, six or seven minutes. You might have to add a little hot water, put the jug on, add a tablespoon at a time if the masala, if the, if the curry, if the mixture is sticking, just enough to make sure the vegetables are cooked. And I've only cooked it a couple of times, but both times, somehow that just worked out perfectly. The cauliflower wasn't too squishy or soft, and the potato was just the right of, uh, amount of resistance. And it's delicious. I, I came across the... Um, the recipe, I was reading a book called The Shadow, the Mountain Shadow by Gregory David Roberts. He wrote the um, massive tome, Shantaram, fantastic book, 800 more pages, but a great story. And anyway, he just, uh, just his second book, The Mountain Shadow, he ordered in a restaurant, well, the protagonist, the, the protagonist, the character, ordered alu gobi. And uh, I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. So that's how I came across it. As I say, I might be the last one at the party, but um, I strongly recommend uh, you have a crack at it. And the uh, recipe will be online uh, on the uh, website next after after the show. So on the Vegan Society website in the in their column there. And to talk about the. Uh, Christchurch Vegan Society, you know, of course, that the show is brought to you by the compliments of that fine institution. And a glance at the latest fortnightly newsletter confirms yet again that wherever your interests lie, there's always something to capture the attention of vegans living in the Otutai Christchurch area. The newsletter, just in the short time that I've been subscribing, gets better and better, so easy to navigate around and... uh, more and more vegan businesses and ventures are making their way onto the scene with new products and new services. And socially, there are some really appealing niche events. June 26 sees the Vegan High Tea. That's a fundraiser for the Cat Rescue Christchurch Charity, and, and they're doing their bit in helping protect wildlife with their humane capture, neuter, release method of reducing the cat population. And the the ever-popular night market in Phillipstown back on Saturday, June 25. Quite a social event there, always some good music and, and a popular place just to cruise around, try out some different foods. I think it, I think it starts about five and goes till seven. It may on a three. I think you check it on the website. And uh, coming up shortly, the Veggie Rainbow Communities Pride Dinner. That'll be a hoot. Everyone enjoys the food and good vibes at the Welcome Chinese Vegetarian Cafe. So that one will be one to look forward to, the Veggie Rainbow Community, the Pride Dinner, and the big event in August, everyone's chance to at last escape to the jungle. And that's the theme of this year's Vegan Ball at Greater Goods in Orbell Street. And I would guess that if anyone knows how to throw a party, it would be the team at Greater Goods. It looks like a party, just looking inside there. So put a ring around the date, Saturday, August 20, live music from the Funky Hot Mamas. So that sounds promising. Talking of music, I heard a song the other day that just grabbed me. Such a great tune and clever words. And after a little exploration, 
I discovered that this guy was born and raised and lives in Lubbock, Texas. Now, when I was young, many years ago, there was another great singer from that town too. I'm surprised if you wouldn't have heard of him. Had some massive hits in the 50s and 60s, and pretty much the whole world knew of Buddy Holly. Now, have a listen from Lubbock, Texas, to Kevin Morby. This is a photograph A window to the past Of your father on the front line With no shirt on Ready to take the world on Beneath the West Texas sun The year that you were born The year that you are now His wife behind the camera His daughter and his baby boy Got a glimmer in his eye you say, this is what I miss after I die And this is what I miss about being alive My body My girls My boy The sun Times the undefeated The heavyweight champ Laughing in his face As he danced like Sugar Ray Used to be, come on, come on But now, no mas, no mas Used to be, come on, come on But now, no mas, no mas a photograph, a window to the past, of your mother in a skirt, in the cool Kentucky dirt, laughing in the garden, back where it all started, with a smile on her face, everything in its place. Got a glimmer in her eye. Seem to say, This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss after I die. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss after I die. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss about being alive. This is what I miss after I die. This is a To the past of being on a front line 
I came across a photograph that I'd taken when I was about 19 or 20 recently. Just a farm boy from Culverdon, just arrived in London at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And the photograph shows a fierce-looking middle-aged woman with a severe beret shoved on her head and holding aloft a large white banner with heavy black lettering. The end of the world is at hand. You've got to remember this is the 60s and nuclear issues and so on. And everybody thought, hmm, could be. Anyway, I thought, what a batty woman at the time. And, but I now wonder if I haven't turned into that woman. Photographs. Their meaning can change over time, can't it? Now, it was never my intention when I began this program for it to become some sort of soapbox for my own ideas. And anyone who's listened will know that I reg- regularly give out the show's email Vegan Lounge at veganchristchurch.org.nz, asking for suggestions, guests people would like to hear, and so on. Well, in the three months or so, I've I've had two emails, both from guests on the show, so it's been quite difficult to gauge. And I know there's a plethora of material out there, increasingly good and knowledgeable vegan podcasts are in abundance. So I think we'll leave it here, but I want to explain um, before I go... Um, explain why it's better that I do bring at least my contribution to this show to a close. I received an email in a roundabout sort of way from a young couple who moved from the city and have begun rehabilitating an abandoned farm. Now, they practice regenerative farming. That is, they raise animals and grow plants in such a way that nourishes rather than depletes the soil, and in this way their farm becomes a carbon sink by converting atmospheric carbon into soil carbon, where it can grow more plants, which can even then trap more carbon. And that's about as scientific as I can manage. But this is the type of farming that can make agriculture part of the climate change solution, while continuing to grow healthy, nutritious food, and in this case feeding a family, and The reason for the email was that this young couple were letting it be known that they were offering eggs for sale from their flock of 26 free-range chickens. Now, these chickens spend their days doing basically whatever they want. In the winter, this is in Canada, in Ontario. In the winter, they have, don't ask why I got an an email um, advertising eggs for sale from Canada. It's hardly impractical. But anyway, in the winter, they, they shelter in the greenhouse. That's why I'm explaining that. And all year, they're free to roam about outside foraging for grubs and insects and doing what chickens do. And their diet is supplemented with locally grown grain. And the email included a couple of pictures, their youngest child holding and cuddling a really brown chook, brown shaver perhaps. It was a lovely... Um, site and it reminded me it was my good fortune to grow up on a farm too but like so many others I couldn't wait to get away and taste life in the big smoke and of course now I appreciate much more in these older years the blessing that it was to spend those formative days living close to nature 
And following that thread a little more deeply, some friends in the country recently invited me to visit overnight and celebrate not being locked up anymore with a roast turkey from their farm. And I explained I wouldn't do that as I was trying to follow a purely vegan diet. However, we'd love to come for lunch, and we enjoyed a delightful lunch eating some of the lovely produce from their garden. And later that afternoon, as it cooled, we stood around a big outdoor bonfire and talked, while just around our legs, a flock of about 30 turkeys gobbled and chattered amongst themselves, picking their way through a mountain of surplus apples from the surrounding orchards and uh, late-season tomatoes that have been hit by an early frost. And there, in, for me, at least lies a bit of a dilemma, because honestly, I find there is a truthfulness and there's a beauty about both those scenes I've described, the young egg raisers working hard to rehabilitate a depleted farm, raising their young family in harmony with animals and the land, and living on and with the land in a way that human beings have done one way or another in every culture around the world for thousands of years. And then the turkey farmers, protecting their flock from everything from the feral cats that people drop up up the country road, uh, the hunting dogs from the... There's a guy who runs a hunt nearby and sometimes is... is can you believe they still do it? Packs of hounds, and they get out and, um, and just very recently were bothering my friend's turkeys. But they protect their, their, their animals. And as people like these, sometimes working against the odds, working hard and working with love for the land and the earth. These really are the people who I believe are truly lighting the way forward. They reconnect us with our past by listening to their intuition and marching to their own drum. And increasingly, there are little pockets of people like this existing all over the world. Some urban refugees, other Others are living a version of how their ancestors have always lived, just simply attempting to provide their families with a life in harmony with nature's rules, unsentimentally at ease with the awareness that life and death are the nature of existence. And I feel compelled to broach this matter because no matter how much I'm in agreement with the prevailing scientific wisdom that for our civilization and species to survive, it's imperative that we move towards a vegan or at least far less animal-dependent diet. My personal feeling is that it's already too late to save this way of life. That horse has bolted, and all the brands and labels in the world that we use to identify who we are and what we stand for will count for nothing as uh, this uh, particular version of civilization meets the very same fate that met all that preceded us. And you have to ask, is there any good reason why this civilization especially should survive, apart from the fact that, of course, that we live here? If you were to paint a picture of heroes and villains, then in my view, the farmers, the small farmers tending their flocks, their herds, their farmers growing grain, vegetables, fruit, and caring for the earth are the heroes and the villains, the Coca-Cola Corporation and others like them, consciously curating some mythical idea of how we should all be living that actually depends on separating humans from nature and their true purpose here on earth. And that's the real poison. You ask any albatross with a stomach full of Coke bottle tops.
So as we move more and more deeply into this new reality, the climate crisis, so many changes facing humanity, there'll be many people with different approaches doing their best in different ways. And these will be the challenges, won't they? Can we just choose the type of energy we bring to these challenges regardless of outcome and be at peace with that? Or for optimism to exist, is it necessary to anticipate a certain outcome? Or Christchurch people who experienced the earthquakes at least have some experience of the strangely liberating experience that comes with uh, living with uncertainty. Take joy where you can find it. And, of course, if you adjust your vision, of course you'll find beauty and joy everywhere. If you've been around for some of or all of these shows, you'll know I like my little quotes. This is Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. In early years, one learns to speak, and in old age, learns to be quiet. And such is a person's great fault, that he learns to speak before knowing how to keep quiet. So I think this is really my time to step aside. And with the great good fortune of having the backing of the Christchurch Vegan Society, I believe this show still has the potential to provide a strong vegan voice in our community. And I urge you, you, to seriously consider why you shouldn't do it yourself. Come and do it. It's easy. Or give a friend a shove, a younger voice. It's a younger voice that's needed. And... Even just for your own experience, I'll help you get sorted out and started. You'll meet some very good people I've enjoyed, and I've truly enjoyed and been inspired in some way by every one of the guests I've had on the show. It's been fun. And the people here at Plains are lovely, so helpful, a very nice atmosphere here. Let me know if you'd like to have a go. Vegan Lounge at veganchristchurch.org.nz Well, if you've been around for any, even perhaps all of these shows, I do hope there was something for you. I thank you, and I appreciate it. That's enough from me. I think we should hear a bit more from Kevin Morby. Goodbye, and be happy. This is a photograph A window to the past Of your father on the front line With no shirt on Ready to take the world on Beneath the West Texas sun The year that you were born The year that you are now His wife behind the camera His daughter and his baby boy Got a glimmer in his eye Seem to say This is what I miss after I die And this is what I miss about being alive My body My girl My boy The sun Times the undefeated, the heavyweight champ, laughing in his face 
as you dance like Sugar Ray. Used to be, come on, come on. But now, no mas, no mas. Used to be, come on, come on. But now, no mas, no mas. <laughs> 